0: Mahmoud could have been our son. I'd have objected to the name, and for family reasons, you'd have insisted on it. We could have bought him a crib with a blue quilt and hung spinning musical animals to coax him to sleep. Could have stayed up all night for his first tooth, experimenting with various formulas, because my breasts couldn't produce enough milk for his voracious appetite. And with a new Nikon camera, we could have captured his first step, And his verbal skills would have wiped the floor with your niece's skills, of course. We could have disagreed over his elementary school. Nothing wrong with public education, you'd have said, and I'd have demanded a private one. You'd have turned your face toward me as you counted our few remaining dollars to my wailing about balancing the budget. We would have been happy, his first school bag in one hand, his other hand waving to the neighbor's girl before waving to us. His teacher would have complained, as teachers are wont to do, and we'd have called her names for her blindness to the genius of our only son. Yes, we would have brought him a battery-operated car, built him a paper plane that doesn't fly, maintained his teeth white, flipped his collar for coolness, and he'd have loved me more than you. Because of issues beyond my grasp, your jealousy would have grown mysterious. And when his voice changed, he'd hate us both and love the neighbor's girl more. Rumination would have haunted us for hours at night, our whispers advising us to be patient, let go, observe from a distance. Then you'd have lost your wits over his first cigarette, the hidden pack in the laundry room, but his tremulous voice would prevent you from slapping him with an open palm. You'd have forgiven him. You're kind like that. He'd only smoked in secret. But the first rock he'd have thrown at soldiers at the checkpoint to raise his heroic stock in Manel's eyes, would have declared war in our house. Biting followed by flying slippers, nightly debates wouldn't have helped us to core solutions. I'd have to carry him between my teeth, fly him from one neighborhood to another to shield him, but he'd run away. That would be who he'd always been, a misguided kid who saps the heart and soul. That's who he was. Still you were martyred eight years before he was born, and he was martyred eight years after you were gone. That was Maya Abu
1: Al-Hayat's poem, Mahmoud, um, from her collection, You Can Be the Last Leaf, translated by Fadi Judah, out from Milkweed Editions. Reading it was Marsha link My co-host, I'm Ursula Lindsay, and this is episode 75 of the Bulak podcast, coming to you as usual from Amman and Rabat and uh, featuring the work of Abul Hayat and other Palestinian poets uh, in this episode.
0: Yeah, so let's just tell you a bit about Maya Abu Hayat, for those who don't know, although you may have heard about her on our episode, the episode when we talked about Book of Ramallah, which she edited. She is the author of four collections of poetry, four novels, and many children's picture books. She's the director of the Palestine Writing Workshop, which has projects encouraging both reading and writing, and which has fostered some of the best of Arabic children's literature available now. Her own acclaimed children's books, the, Bo- the Blue Pool of Questions, is available in translation from Penny Candy Books, translated by Hanan Oed. Uh, so as I said, she was editor this year of The Book of Ramallah, an anthology of short stories published by Kama Press. And You Can Be the Last Leap is forthcoming next year in 2022. Abu Al-Hayat currently lives in Jerusalem and works in Ramallah. And
1: uh, it's a beautiful collection. That poem in particular kind of killed me. Um, this, yeah. this poem in which you are suddenly have the rug pulled out from underneath you at the end with this double mourning of a former lover and of a child who didn't come into existence. Um, it's right. extremely powerful. Yeah.
0: This yeah, the imagined losing the imagined child, and and even the possibility of having this child. And and the the theme of sort of uh,
1: motherhood and children and family and intimate daily life is is a big part of the atmosphere of these poems, which are a lot. I feel like about um, sort of the the daily struggle. To, to be a person, to be a writer, to be a mother under the occupation. Um, there's a lot of just mentions of sort of checkpoints and, and, the, and the daily uh, negotiation of, of fear and anxiety and hostility that you have to make um, as a Palestinian. Um, I mean, as right. we and speak. Not, right.
0: Yes, yeah. go, no, ahead. go ahead. No no and and just and not just to sort of survive in this, but also to like insist upon herself and insist upon laughter and and to sort of broaden the space that is available for her and her words and the and the people around her,
1: yeah, I can't remember the exact line. this is one of the things that's hard when you when for reading poetry for me is that afterwards um it's kind of like listening to music like i it, it because it's not plot driven. I always am sort of left grasping, trying to remember all the things that struck me, but she has a line in, in one of the poems about, I think not being interested in just being a survivor. Right. Yeah. Something along those lines. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a wanting to find, you know, meaning and joy in the difficulties of that, uh, I mean as we speak uh just uh just days before this episode is recorded the Israeli authorities have um uh designated six of the most prominent Palestinian human rights NGOs and civil society organizations as terrorist organizations um uh which just goes to show that you know there's there's no form of human rights monitoring Uh, that is allowable.
0: Right. Um, And yeah, Mahmoud Darwish has poems in which he refers to the poem as a bomb and the poem as terrorism, you know, in in a tongue in cheek sense, of course, uh, that anything that asserts the self is, is a danger. I, I mean, that is
1: the situation that Palestinians find themselves in, no matter what tactics they pursue whether they're creative or diplomatic or invoking boycotts or protests or just self-expression or appeals to international law, it is all considered illegal and terroristic and, and, and threatening. Um, We're also in the midst of the olive harvest in Palestine and Palestinian villages are having to try and like organize themselves to protect themselves from attacks by settlers in which they vandalize thousands of olive trees and like physically assault people who are trying to pick olives um i i mean i think you know this is one of the of the many maddening things about being palestinian is that as as darwish himself said too like not only are you dispossessed and done wrong but then you're not allowed to say that you're not allowed to even claim your own losses mm. to even proclaim them to even just tell the truth of what's happening to you that is is constantly denied
0: yeah and uh, so these these uh, both uh, you know m- many of the poets that we're talking about today most of the poets we're talking today are of a you know a later generation than um then Mahmoud Darwish mayo Hayat, who was born in uh, nineteen eighty um I think you know of this sort of generation of Palestinian poets writing now writing this very vibrant poetry of that is so deeply rooted in um a home, a family a body um in in laughter in and one of the things I really enjoyed about this collection was was spending time with her poetic voice. Um, you know, I think there were so many surprises in the poems, but also I just enjoyed her, um, her wit and her, um, her, you know, you turn a corner and she's just sort of unafraid of, yeah, describing the kid will love me more. (laughs) Mahmoud, he'll (laughs) love me more than he loves you, obviously, you know? Um, and, uh, and I just, you know, really, uh, and I related so much, not necessarily, obviously, my life is very different from my Abu Hayat's, but the sort of questions and concerns that animate me, the th- the things that I think about, I found reflected so much in, in these poems. Yeah, I
1: mean, one of the themes is worrying about your children, which seems mm-hmm. like a pretty universal theme, although obviously she, she's living it under particularly intense circumstances. Um uh, and, um, yeah, there's a vividness to a lot of the details. There's an intimacy, right? It's a lot of it takes place in, in kind of small intimate settings, right? It's a lot in the home or just in the street, in the neighborhood, um, in the body. Uh, there's poems about, about love too, about desire and, um, yes, a lot of poems right. about anxiety, though, and 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 concern. She has one poem where the opening line is, "Every time I leave the house, it's a suicide." Yes, it's suicide. I love that Seven. poem.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. And then every time you, I, I'm I'm just trying to remember. I, this is not the line, but every time you come back, it's a, it's like um, a, a failed suicide or a uh, the attempt, a failed attempt. Right.
1: Yeah and 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 also like you said of this later generation of of Palestinian poets where i don't know if this applies to everyone but like th- there's again this focus on like the daily lived reality and n- not on um almost a rejection of sort of like bigger ideologies and bigger myths and so- which which have proven probably quite disappointing um and you know she has a poem entitled "I suffer a phobia called hope mm. um there's a kind of uh, you know determination to embrace the reality we live in um and 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 say what it is there's not uh there's no grand eloquence at all to it right. right there's no like celebration of you know, um, sort of resistance or martyrdom. It's not that there's no celebration of human dignity or capacity, but it's, it's kept at an, I think, individual level. Um, there's a kind of skepticism, I think, about a lot of narratives and myths around.
0: um, Yeah. And I think sometimes people talk about, um, sort of a rejection of political poetry and, a um, um, A rise of individual poetry about the body and family. And I don't think any of the poets that we're going to talk about today in any sense (laughs) reject the political in their poetry. There is absolutely the political everywhere in, in the sort of stance and in the way that things are described, but not the sort of, yes, not in a nationalist or in any kind of easy sense where you feel that they know what the ending is going to be or um or even what they necessarily even want to happen yeah I agree with you
1: absolutely how they it can't not be political right? mm. in in a way of poetry like even if you're writing about your most mundane daily experiences it seeps in everywhere um which also we saw in that lovely short film from uh, the Palestinian short film, The Present, which which oh, came yes. out this right. year. And yes. again, was just a very mundane story about a husband and father trying to go buy a refrigerator for his wife, uh, right. this, this short film. And it was all just about navigating checkpoints, um, which I think is this incredibly like taxing
0: experience, daily experience on everyone. Um, Yep, uh, particularly for somebody like Abul Hayat, who lives in Jerusalem and works in Ramallah, and has to cross right. every single every single workday, and where sort of
1: every square foot of these cities is, is contested, and there's such a huge effort to also like um, change the the demographic balance of these cities and to expropriate uh, Palestinian families from their homes. And that's something else that we saw recently. Um, But to, to get back also to the question of her, her, her relationship to like myth and narrative and nationalism. she has one line that I liked so much where she says, each time an opportunity arises for me to not believe in one thing or another, I smile from ear to ear to let all this freedom in.
0: Yeah. I yeah, love
1: that. Yeah, I love
0: I I do too and I feel like she has such a broad sympathy um and uh, uh, such an huge imagination um and yes she, she it's it's a poetry that believes in contradictory things you know can hold one thing in its mind two more than you know two things in its mind at once and yet you you know also of course believes in reality you know the occupation exists whether you know, despite anything else. Yeah. And in
1: terms of the, of the, of the style itself of the poems, there's so many of them that, um, uh, you know, at the end often have just a kind of great thudding evocative twist, like the last couple lines there's something not uh, sometimes with a bit of mystery to it. You're not sure how to interpret it. You're not sure what it means. But it just kind of thuds like a heartbeat there at the end. Um,
0: yeah, and, the, and really stays end, with you. The ending of of my house, which is the opening poem in the collection, um, it, it you know it talks a lot about um, her her upbringing, her family life, how she finds a house, how you build a house for yourself. You know, of course, not. In the physical sense alone, but in uh, the metaphorical sense, and she also, you know, shouts out to Amjad Nasser, which, it, it, you know, it, it was greatly touching to me because he's one of my uh, sort of favorite favorite poets as well, and he he passed recently. And then it ends of I will raise my house on the backs of horses that will carry it to the fields. There, my legs will pause, and you're like, what, <laughs> what? Then, then the legs of the poem pause, and uh, I'm sort of left there, paused on a, on horseback with the house carried into a field, and it's a different image. There's not a horse uh, earlier in the poem, um, and it really le- leaves you with so so much. She can do this sort of hairpin turn of moving from narrative to moving to this sort of more song like lyric poetry that. um then just leaves you there to figure it out yourself. I'll, I'll,
1: I'll, I'll contribute another one that proves that it speaks to this same point. She has this poem called Search. It's just basically, you don't know what she's looking for. It describes her looking for something through her house um, and, you know, behind couches and in the bowl in the hallway. And then at the end, it says, I listened to the weather forecast one last time. As I rummage through the kitchen cabinets, I see that I need a new pressure cooker. Maybe you can leave, sorry, maybe you can leave in it your intractable diseases. The sugar in the pantry needs some ants and my mm. heart a vent. And again, yes, I like I, <laughs> and it's not a explicable line right. to me, but it, it just, it really like hits me. Um, right,
0: yeah. I mean, you can invent some meanings for it. Your heart needs a vent, you know, like it needs some way of getting rid of some of the things in it. So there's like the sugar in the pantry needs some. Ants the sugar in the pantry needs, in.
1: needs some it ants. It does need
0: ants. <laughs> Everybody's sugar needs some ants. Come on. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, I. There are so many of the lines. I, I. Some of her poems are so crowded in this, like you're living in a house with so many of these different things going on. There's the sugar, the the ants and, um, and then there's these lines that just, um, I, I don't, I can't, I, I can't, I don't have an easy explanation for them, but they really stay with me. There's this one, your laughter, which I find to be such a strong political poem, um, the day you explain your laugh to anyone should never come your laugh would lose its prestige laughter is the excess knowledge no one takes seriously and that line laughter is the excess knowledge no one takes seriously i don't know what i think it means but i love it i i feel that it's important yeah. and it's correct yeah whatever it means
1: <laughs> um even the the poem that gives the title to the collection it's a very short poem I've reread it now, I think, 10 times, and I find it it, very sort of enigmatic and, you know, it doesn't have a single clear reading for me. I I really like it. So it's called You Can't. Mm. They will fall in the end, those who say you can't. It'll be age or boredom that overtakes them or lack of imagination. Sooner or later, all leaves fall to the ground. You can be the last leaf. You can convince the universe that you pose no threat to the tree's life. Now, the end of that, I get, I think, pretty clearly. Um, I mean, this is incredibly poignant, again, from, from people who are accused all the time of being nothing but a threat mm. and who, whose very existence is so constantly undermined but this play on first of all it's not clear who you is I mean you and they are both not specified right um and then you you know the end is you can be the last leaf you can convince the universe but the title of the poem is you can't Mm. so there's some tension there um
0: Right, who is saying you can't, and who is saying you can, and... And you can't what? What are they right. saying that you can't? <laughs> and then the title seems to
1: almost agree with them that you can't. I don't know. It's, um... But there's, yeah, there's a lot of poems like that, uh, where the, the mystery of it uh, is, very, is very moving.
0: Yeah, and I just want to say that, so I read a lot of poetry. As a teenager, a child, which I think many whatever people do who like words, and and I didn't I, d- I didn't struggle that much about what it meant, and I think I just accepted if somebody said that so and so is a good poet, I agreed yes so and so is a good poet, and I didn't necessarily have my own sort of strong opinions, and, and then I became very uncertain, like I think a many um, non poet readers do. Uh, I think. Most people, if they read a novel, they can tell you whether or not they thought it was a good novel. Even they're non, a non specialist, but they they have a sense of what works and doesn't work. But I think people become nervous, or at least I become nervous, about saying, is this a good poetry collection? Is this, you know? And uh, it's sort of only recently <laughs> that I've um, given myself permission or been given permission or somehow have decided that I can allow myself to like a poetry collection or not like a poetry collection and then that is an important determining criteria about whether I think it's good (laughs) Mm. and I I hear you uh,
1: I didn't I didn't I sorry were you finished yeah 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 you sure (laughs) yes I didn't mean to interrupt I I was gonna say I didn't actually read much poetry as a teenager and I have maybe more than you like I'm I'm not that comfortable evaluating it and also because i'm like a narrative plot junkie like mm. like stories are what uh, you know hook me and i'm obsessed with and and i think also like a a kind of analytical reader like a like someone who parses everything right right, right. um so it's almost like i have to give myself permission to just experience poetry again it's more like music for me like i have to have an emotion reaction um but then i i can't sort of break it down as easily into the right, constituent elements
0: m- right there's these moments that i think it's is it proust who who refers to them as song in in a in a novel and i i feel like there's so many so many of those moments of song where the 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 poem elevates above itself and you don't know what's going on, but it just, um, it carries you with it. And, and I think, you know, maybe it is because people have told me, oh, that's not a good poet and that's not a good, and there is, you know, um, uh, there are of course specialist readers and they know many things and they have a great background of context that I don't have, but I think it is important to be able to pick up a poetry collection and say, I love my Abul Hayat's poetry because I, I can hear it and I can see it and I can relate to it and, and I can feel myself in it and my concerns and I feel myself growing bigger from it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the technical criteria are necessarily the way I could list them all for the novel. <laughs> I think personally, my
1: guess would be that if I just read more poetry, I would get better and better at articulating those criteria as well. Like Mm. part of it is just, you know, with any art form, it's like just the amount of your exposure to it is what eventually gives you kind of like the tools to, to like make explicit your, your initial reactions and maybe to fine tune them, maybe to like, you know, for the reactions themselves to, to become more sophisticated sometimes or more nuanced. I don't know, but, um, uh, so I think, I think that 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 helps. I'm really happy that we're doing, um, I mean, we do usually talk only about novels and, and prose and, and, and I'm really happy we're doing this episode. I think that this and the other collection we're going to talk about next, which is by Najwan Darwish, um, are both, you know very strong collections i enjoyed reading a lot um and uh well should we should we read a poem by Najwan darwich before we get into talking about who he is
0: yeah sure um we could just read the title poem exhausted on the cross
1: right sure that's the that the title of the
0: collection as well um w- will you do it i will great exhausted on the cross The ones hanging are tired, so bring us down and give us some rest. We drag histories behind us, here where there's neither land nor sky. Lord, sharpen your knife and give your sacrifice its rest. You had no mother or father and you never saw your brothers hanging from the cold talons of dawn. You loved no one, and no one ever abandoned you, and death never ate from your hands. You cannot know our pain. I'm not King David. I won't sit at the gate of regret and sing your psalms of lamentation after the sins. Bring me down. Let me have my rest. <sighs> Yeah, so that was um, the title poem from Exhausted on the Cross translated by Karim James Abu Zaid, who uh, translated, of course, the whole collection that came out this year. It's the second translation of Najwan's that Karim translated. So Najwan was um, born in, in 78. So also is from this same generation. He published his first collection in 2000. And he has, I think, eight collections of poetry out uh, or, I don't know, maybe nine by now. Um, and in 2014, uh, New York Review of Books published uh, his uh, Karim's translation of His Nothing Left to Lose, which was its first uh, translation from Arabic. Uh, and that got a lot of acclaim, and it was up for several awards. And then this year, they brought out uh, Exhausted on the Cross, which is another like big collection. I and mean, it doesn't sound like a lot of pages from, uh, if you, you know, from a novel reader's perspective, I think it's, you know, 120 or something, uh, but it feels, it feels very big. There's a lot. Yeah, And in there's, it. there's, I think, six different sections
1: and some of them are quite different styles of, mm. of poetry. Um, I mean, I liked how, how far and wide he ranges both in the types of poems that he writes, in the references. There's quite a bit of sort of conversations with other poets. Uh, right. Poems inspired by uh, poems which sort of in which he sort of uh either casts another poet as a character or is speaking to him or is speaking for him. Um and uh and it also it 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 it's vast geographically. I mean, he there's a lot of just quite a few different settings um, and, and, uh, poems about Egyptian workers in Jordan and Nepalese workers in the Gulf and Mm. a woman from Zanzibar on pilgrimage in Medina. There's this kind of cosmopolitan element of, you know, although it returns again and again, of course, they're, 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 they're poems by a Palestinian poet very much about Palestine, but, but there's all these kind of, it shoots off in all these interesting directions too. Right.
0: Yeah. He's not the only one who's exhausted, I think.
1: (laughs) You you mean, oh, he, oh, in in terms of like his solidarity with like other.
0: Right. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's, that's very much there. He's like, he's, there's, there's parallels, there's connections to other forms of of suffering or to other poets who have found themselves in difficult positions. Um, Mm. there was a poem, um, there's a poem called Let the Journey End Here, um, and it starts off uh, reimagining uh, a trip. Uh, shoot, I'm going to forget who the medieval poet is. Is it Hafiz in this case? It, it's, it's imagining the trip of a famous medieval poet uh, uh, who goes to Egypt, who goes on this like uh, caravan ride to Egypt, um and at the and so most of it is you know a, a reimagining of i think this true historical event um and uh there's even a quote i think from the account which made me smile it says and when they came to fustat in egypt the city's people saved the camels and took their riders in as unhonored guests they were a joyous folk and it seemed their faces were the first rays of the dawn, dawning sun And then it says, so let the journey end here. Let it end with those four verses. Remember them and them alone when they're throwing you into Cairo Airport's detention room. Yes, I remember that. And it just knocked the breath out of me. I mean, one, because I'm familiar, you know, with Egypt. Of course, anything that sort of references to Egypt always kind of carry an extra weight for me. Um, But, you know, this, this, again, this experience the Palestinians have all the time with travel and, you know, constantly having trouble leaving places and getting into places and the security scrutiny and the, 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 the lack of papers and, you know, all across the Arab region and, 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 and the world. Um, but just that twist, again, at the end, where it moves from this historic, long-ago historical account the 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 poet in ancient times and the poet today, um, yeah. What it up,
0: means to travel becomes different.
1: Yeah, and he tells you something at the same time. He tells you, D- don't don't remember this, but I'm telling it to you.
0: Right. Like let me don't tell it to this, you and I'm erase ending, it. <laughs> but I'm ending on that image anyway. Uh, right. So yeah, it is. A, it is a wonderful uh, contradictory image as well.
1: Yeah. Um I would say like compared to uh to Abel Hayat's poetry, it, Najwan Darish's poetry is much more a lot of the poems are more like explicit stories, like they they are, you know, anecdotes or narratives that are that are quite clearly laid out, quite clearly articulated. There's 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 less um you know, ambiguity. Um It's 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 clearer, I think. The
0: yeah, yeah, the 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 images sort of ring in a in in a succession, and you see one clear thing in your head. Um, Yeah, whereas hers sometimes I've got six images jockeying for position at the same time. Yeah,
1: and this 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 image that he that gives the title to the collection, and that he, I think, comes back to more than once. Right. There's another poem that also um, uses this metaphor of crucifixion. Um, I think the one that says Christ was a Fidei, like just like you, but he was condemned and crucified in the sea of a single day. While you, your cross is raised with every dawn. Um, You know, obviously, like it's saying something about Palestinian suffering and. um, The potential for some sort of rebirth I I mean I think is is built into that image as well Um, some sort of new beginning Um,
0: right and yeah with the sort of um, so sometimes sometimes the poems are cyclical right they seem to move in a in a in a circle or a cycle. And sometimes there's a kind of a collapse of history, like in the poem that ends up in the airport detention center, Uh, like all these moments are happening at the same time. But in that there's also the possibility of, um, you know, you're in the detention center, but the, those faces, the smiling faces are still real. Um, they, they still are vibrant. They're still remembered. They still exist alongside the the airport detention center.
1: Well, I think so much of this this poetry takes place right between hope and hopelessness, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, b- between despair and the belief that you know some some form of. Uh, you know, joy or hope or resistance or meaning is possible to 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 be rescued out of out of the suffering, out of what seems like never-ending suffering. Um, and 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 Darish has several poems that explicitly talk about how the act—I mean, being a poet itself—is uh, is is sort of um, the way in which. Um, he can play a role within this. And, and, and again, there's a sense between what he says, will it have meaning or not? Will it be forgotten or not? Like, will it right. matter or not? Um, he has a poem I liked uh, called An Obituary. And he says, uh, he hoped his obituary would read as follows. He fought the invaders as best he could. He wasn't victorious, but neither was he defeated. In oblivion, he made a life for a thousand years to come. He died fulfilling his poetic obligations.
0: Yes, I love that line about fulfilling I like that his too. poetic obligations. Yeah, there's a lot of poems in which he imagines a thousand years into the future. The year 2222, mm-hmm. for, for example. And then this in this family poem, so although you know his poetry is not you know about existing in the family in the same way as Maya's is he he has this beautiful poem called family um where he also says even after a thousand years i still won't be a father so i, I find it unusual in in a man's poetry that he that he talks about children or the family at, at all but he's sort of insisting um I, I st- even after a thousand years, I still won't be a father. I'll stay where I am. I'll remain um, one of the youngest and most reckless of these children. Um, and I, I'll fight to the bitter end for the right not to be a father to my children. So he's, he's still um, talking about this very, um, you know, life of, of the family and the home, although insisting that he's not going to take part in it. He's not going to become part of this sort of traditional patriarchal family. He's not going to be the father.
1: Right. But it's it's not so much about not making, having family bonds, right? It's about not playing that role, it seems to me, that traditionally assigned role. Because earlier in the poem, he says, I have no offspring either. The children born amid the shelling in these sullen hospitals are simply companions Joining this family we've created from the ruins of our families, which right? I, think so I thought was so kind of beautiful. Family. Yes, yes. It's yeah. like it—it it gives it's it's it's, you know, it's saying these children that are born at these children they they are our companions. You're already seeing them as you know your full equals because you're equals in this in in this suffering, really, right? I mean, and that you're rebuilding a family in a different way.
0: Right. Um, without, without the children being, hit, hit, the children are his companions and it also opens, I don't have a widow who'll be there to receive the poet's coat of arms and dole out downcast smiles. So he doesn't have a relationship with women either where, you know, it, he's got a mm. wife who's there to like sort of, um, be his widow after he dies and whatever, sort out his poetic legacy, um, and be his, um you know, he's the widow of a martyr. He has a different um, relationship both with children and with women, and he insists not to be that sort of patriarchal father. It, it's a bit
1: like Abul Hayat's line about not believing things giving you freedom. Like right? there's a kind of, I feel like this is a celebration of some kind of freedom,
0: that mm, I'm not yes. their
1: father, they're my companions, I don't need a weeping wife. Like we're all equal and individuals. Um, in this other kind of family that were created from the ruins of our families. Um,
0: yeah. Although she also has this beautiful line that I'm um, searching for in, uh, is it in, from, in the poem return about, uh, oh, oh, it's, it's, you know, about how sort of the world is sort of de- designed before we get there, our words about the free soul beliefs and the innocent land is part of the design. So, you know, our, you know, it's like the desire for freedom, but also at the same time, recognizing that these words that we use about freedom and about these things are, are given to us as well. And so we're just trying to make our way and make our poems out of these concepts that we didn't create whole cloth. So it made me sort of doubt uh, freedom as well, as as a, as a way as a lens of seeing these poems.
1: I mean, I don't think there's a lot of certainty in 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 these poetic universes on purpose, mm. right? Uh, I I think you're right. Um, everything gets questioned, um, and certainly the the I don't think it's a romantic vision of you know, the power of, I don't know, it's, it's hard. I mean, there's probably, there's, there's both, right? Obviously, obviously, you know, these, these people believe and are enacting like, um, a real, um, I don't want to use the word resistance. I don't know why. I, I'm always very leery of like over romanticizing the Palestinian cause because I feel like it takes away from people to just make them um you know what i mean to be, yeah, to, yeah, be yeah. to be yeah. overly sentimental about it and stuff like um, or to to, turn, to 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 make people seem victims or heroes or so on and I, I think this this poetry very much resists that um uh, but there is this kind of uh like Enacting of the very limits of what language can do in the poems, right? Like they do hmm. amazing things, and yet they point to the fact that that's not enough, right? Right, right.
0: And yet sometimes it is enough, you know. Sometimes the poem.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, we're Just we're in starring. the We're 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 confused in a very wow. in a very good way as readers, right?
0: Yeah. I mean sometimes at the end of the poem there's like a sense of satisfaction. Sometimes it does feel like it does what it aimed to do. It it met its poetic obligations. Well, well don't you think? I mean that,
1: that like you said something earlier about cycles and in 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 Darwish's poetry this is quite explicit, you know, with with in a, in a variety of ways, there's sort of natural cycles. Um, there's there's this poem. Um, uh, there's there's this there's this poem about um, dawn coming, for example. Mm, uh, yes. it says dawn lies behind heavy curtains, behind a heavy age. Dawn always lies behind, in the twists and turns, the abysses, the ch- ch- chasms. Dawn lurks as slender as a sword. The unsheathed dawn of God has darkness for a scabbard. And I think there's, a, there's this, this, that, this cycle of like, you know, some poems ending on a note of real hopelessness, right? Of death, of futility, and some ending on the opposite of that. that right. That, because that is what you're, you know, that is the full existence that's being conveyed um and really it just depends where in that cycle of 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 you know springtime coming or the dawn coming or or hope coming the 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 voice of the poet happens to be like they Mm. feel differently in different moments I'm sure and it and you get the full spectrum here of
0: of yeah, those there's moments. another one from the rumble. Uh fate's never heard me sigh. Did it think I'd take to the streets to parade my misery? Did it think I'd fall in love with my victimhood? Fate wrecked us, but still we emerge from the rubble with satisfaction on our faces.
1: Which is which you can read as celebratory or as bitter. Right? right? Bitter Both satisfaction, ways. absolutely. They might be pretending joy on their faces
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Satisfaction is a much more sort of, yeah, determined, it's satisfaction. It's not happiness. It's just, you know, and, and, you know, I'm reading this monolingually, not with the, there's no, this is not a facing page translation. So I just have access to what Kareem chose for this, um, for that word, but.
1: Well, in any case, they read very both of these translations read very, very well, um, like, we, like you say, without access to the original, but they are a, 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 a an incredibly um, enjoyable reading experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's this image of this chandelier crashing that in, is so intense for me, and I just feel it crashing over and over again in, <laughs> in Exhaustion on the Cross.
1: Yes, I I mean, Karim James,
0: both of them are poets themselves. Fadi Judah is a poet and Karim James Abu Zaid is also a poet. Um, And I think I'm sure both of them worked also with the poets themselves in crafting these as poems in English. In fact, and
1: Fadi Judah, we should mention, has a new poetry collection of his own that I think is already out, about to come out. I think already out.
0: Yeah, I think it's already out.
1: Um, and and this is uh, also from Milkweed, and the title of the collection is Tethered to the Stars, um, and it's another thing on my long, long list of of books that someone's going to bring me back from the states, hopefully next month. But somebody shared one of the poems from that collection online, and I I loved it. Um, I would um,
0: maybe maybe we could read it. Sure, did you want to read it or I've got it open as well? Okay, you go go for it. All right, Dehiscence. I forgot to say goodbye to the kids. I knelt into my weeping until my heart broke me awake. My forehead touched the floor. If dream is memory, I was captured in a van, incarcerated. I was and wasn't a leader. The prison was a camp in the wilderness. Its warden was kind. Unkindness came from the rules, which came from behind desert mountains. I didn't say goodbye to my kids. We were watching a soccer game when it happened. My boyhood team is a cities that was steeped in shipping slaves, but that's long ago now. Two of the goal scorers were Muslim, one Senegalese, the other Turkish, who would have us believe he's German. I didn't say goodbye to the kids. I sobbed. I shook. I woke up with a dry face and a cloven heart. I uttered the Arabic word for it. There's a world out there, people no less beautiful than you are. I stayed in bed for an hour, less water with time. I recalled the moment I no longer let my father touch me. No more his little boy, I parted with a tenderness that wouldn't visit me the same again. I felt his acceptance, unaware he'd begun waiting for mine. It was after lunch. We were on the couch. He stroked my hair, neck, and forearm. It felt good. Then I felt older. Slowly, I got up, walked away, his fingers trailing the air of my wake. Both of us, wordless. I didn't say goodbye to my kids. There's a world out there, people who don't ask me what I'm about to say. You're not time. I served with time, and you're not it. Again, I love the ending of that. It's another mm. one of these
1: uh, kind of heart-thumping. Um. The version that I had seen was slightly different, actually. So, um, like, just there's a, some small changes in the language. So I, I wonder if I saw um, an earlier draft or, you know... Or a just, later one. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were, they're, they're small. It doesn't change the the overall content very much but um yeah there's slightly slightly different drafts of it um and the title of this poem was a word I had to look up dehiscence um which I guess is a medical term that means when the when the sides of a wound don't um
0: uh don't knit together don't knit together yeah Yeah. right and Fadi is also a medical doctor In his other life,
1: and I mean, so he's he's a poet, and he's the translator of one of the collections that we just discussed of of Mayas, and um, he's, he really seems to be a kind of force um, for good in the world of Palestinian poetry, in the sense that he's uh, do, doing a lot of translations as well as as, as his own writing
0: yeah he translated uh Ghassan Zaktan's award winning collections that won the Griffin poetry prize and then this starting this summer um after the Sheikh Zahra uh, evictions and the bombing of Reza he brought he started bringing out this series of lyric dispatches uh, on the magazine the baffler and you can go to the Baffler and still and find this this series. I'm not sure if it's finished or if he's on a pause but uh, and there are a number of different there's uh Asma Azaiza and there there's um there's a poem by Ahlam Sharra, who is um I'm is one of my personal favorites. I, I somehow gravitate towards these poets who also write children's books. Maybe I I don't know, maybe this is something childish about me, who knows? But um there are love there are an you know kind of fresh uh, uh new poems some translated by him, some translated by, by other poets uh, in, as part of this series. There's one by Murid Barghouti, who's, um, who also recently passed and is part of an older generation of, of, of Palestinian poets. But most of them are by younger poets. And, you know, it's exciting to, n- not all of the poets I knew, and it was, you know, exciting to be introduced to new work.
1: Yeah and it th- and it was kind of explicitly partly done at a time when Palestine was in the news on the part of a publication that is trying to sort of highlight Palestinian voices right I mean
0: yeah they're called th- lyric dispatches you know, which gives you this sense that they're news, although they're not really. <laughs> I, I mean, they, they don't necessarily have anything. I, I mean, Ahlam, for example, she did write poems directly in that moment. And they were actually beautiful, stunning poems. Um, uh, but most of these, uh, you know, have nothing to do with the moment. But they're sort of, yes, dispatches from from Palestine but poet, poetry dispatches. Like, for instance, a- so I want, I want to read this one by Asma, which, which was translated by uh, Lena who's also a Palestinian-American poet, as Fadi Judah is. Yesterday, I handed all my poems to my publisher. I feel like I handed him my head, and the words I speak from now on will come out of his mouth. What a disaster! Disasters don't show up one at a time. They arrive in legions like a starving horde. A poet said this then died. For example, half my family died, and after I celebrated the end of that year, my father died. Since then, I've let my poems go. Every night, poets get drunk beneath my window and dictate wise poems to me. I loathe wisdom. I invite them in, slaughter them like fattened sheep, and dine on them but I still can't get my voice back. I glimpse it through the window, crucified at the top of the mountain. I've become a mere reflection of a tree stripped naked in a puddle on the road. Don't step over me, shade me, from a sun that might pass overhead and vaporize my trunk. Maybe I'll speak my peace. I'll tell you disasters might die out if you stopped feeding them firewood, but you wouldn't hear me. And the mountain is made of kindling. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I I love that one just, you know, for her combination of sort of wit and like fierceness and then also this, uh, you know, surreal lyricism that takes you on this hairpin turn somewhere you weren't expecting. Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, we, we didn't highlight it that much, but there is wit and humor in... Also, the poetry collections we talked about earlier there 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 are always glimmers of that as well um, of of that laughter that uh, what is it is uh is the excess meaning what was what was my the line excess
0: about? knowledge no one takes seriously right right yeah, um, and it's not just an explanation of of laughter, which she has a couple of poems talking about laughter, but also, you know, they're just funny moments where she's, you know, making fun of herself or others, people, you know, that making fun of wise poets who she invites in, you know, this is S. Matt of course, wise poets yeah. that she invites in and slaughters them like fat and sheep, which is, <laughs> right, right, I don't know. I, of course, I, I don't condone the slaughtering of fattened poets. Of wise poets. (laughs) (laughs) Except in your own poetry.
1: Well, um, we will, of course, include uh, links to all of these uh, collections in the show notes. Um, And um, we should also mention that uh, for people who are interested in poetry, there is a podcast that is also hosted on our network. So it, um, there's an excellent podcast in Arabic called Maksuda um, that is specifically just about poetry. And that I think you said has already done episodes on uh, Palestinian poets. They right? did
0: one long episode on Palestinian poetry that's on YouTube, with even with subtitles. And they even the subtitled the the poetry with poets' translations, and it's co-hosted by Zena Hessenbeck and Farah Shamma. And I strongly recommend uh, that episode, which we'll link to in the show notes, and the entire, and just listening to them all the time. And to, just to mention that Zena also has a poetry collection called "O" coming out next year, twenty twenty two, and you can pre order it now. Yeah, it's a lovely show.
1: I actually have. I, I find it difficult to understand. I mean, I find it much harder to understand Arabic poetry being read aloud than say to like read, you know, uh, I find poetry harder than prose and then hearing it harder than reading it. Um, so I can follow their discussion, but I actually have trouble when they just read the poems. Um, and so it's very nice that I think now they're going to include transcripts. Um so there's and, and 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 they sort of read one poem and then they kind of unpack it uh and they you know and they're both poets themselves, and it's a it's a lovely show
0: yeah no i'm I'm not at, yeah that much of an necessarily an oral learner. I often will call up the poem, will stop the podcast, call up the poem, and read it uh with my eyes at the same time that they're reading it out loud, but so yes, it's wonderful that now no one has to search around for poems anymore they will all be, uh, published with their transcripts.
1: All right. Um, and I think we're going to wrap it up there, uh, this week. Um, on our next episode, we're going to have a special guest. Maybe we'll keep it a surprise, but we're going to be traveling <laughs> back in time. Um, and, uh, and looking at, a. A traveler and a translator, and the stories that he told. Um, and uh, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks for that. And we hope you enjoyed this show. And uh, if you did, please remember to subscribe, share. Um, it really helps uh, if you like the show, just to like, you know, retweet it or share it so that it can reach as many people as possible. Um, that would be great.
0: Yes. Thanks, everybody. And thank you, Ursula. I loved talking about poetry with you. I know. Me too. All right. Bye. Bye.